Okay, hello and welcome to another creator chat. This time uh, we're joined by three amazing uh, comic and graphic novel creators. Um, I'm James, I'm from the Melbourne Athenaeum Library um, and I'm going to be hosting this conversation. Um, and joining me are Pat Grant, Chris, Chris Gooch, and Campbell White. Um, and they've all just uh, have either recently or about to have um, new works released with top shelf publications. So do you want to uh, tell us a bit about yourselves and about these new works? Uh, Pat, do you want to start? Hi, uh, yes, I'd love to start. I've got a book called The Grot. Um, oh, Chris has got a copy. Oh, look yeah. at that. Look at this, look at this yeah. guy. Came in the mail today. Uh, came in the mail today. It's just, uh, it's, it's just being drip fed across the uh, Pacific from our, our publishers in the US. It's about, it's a dystopian, piece of dystopian fiction about teenage con artists. Campbell, go. About your book or about mine? No, about your book. <laughs> um, so my one, um, look, I'll do, the, I'll do the promo bit. So my one is book two of two. So it's um, called Home Time. It's about a group of primary school age kids on the last day of school. They accidentally fall into the local river while they're walking home and they um, kind of get sucked into this magical adventure world and they have to find their way back home. So it's action, adventure, horror, romance, bit of everything. That's me. Cool. Okay. Uh, mine's called Under Earth. These are the copies I have at the moment. They're like self-published Rizzo ones I made. Wow. Um, and then the collected version will come out with Top Shelf a day after Campbell's, sometime in October. Uh, mine's like Pat's. Mine's a dystopian thing, but it's more... I don't know, I think it makes less, less sense. Pat's is probably how the world will turn out and mine's just a bit janky. But... Yeah. Yours is like prison fiction, right, Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sci-fi, that's, that's a good prompt. Sci-fi prison fiction. Um, people making a life in a broken system. That's the general theme. Cool. That's me. Nice. And uh, before we go any further, let's uh, deal with the elephants in the room. How are you all coping with the COVID restrictions and everything like that? Oh, Chris, you've got the harshest ones at the moment, being in Melbourne. Yeah, me and you, James, we are both... In total lockdown, though I'm pretty fucking sure my neighbours are having some sort of house party, which is so awful. But yes, I'm in total lockdown. I don't go outside except to go to the supermarket. The novelty's completely worn off. <laughs> uh, what are you doing, Campbell? Where are you at? Uh, look, I'm in WA, so our, our situation's pretty um, pretty relaxed at the moment. We've got pretty pretty much all our restrictions are lifted, except for really huge events. Um, you know, we at the when the pandemic hit, we had the same sort of lockdown as everyone else, but we managed to like sort of move through it a little bit quicker through um, sheer luck um, and a hard border that was put in place really early. Uh, and so we're just maintaining the hard border and, and just knocking on wood. Um, you know, unfortunately, I think it's going to be just a matter of time before there's a break. But um, you know, until then, we just got to be careful. And uh, but but more or less, things are kind of back to normal which is which is strange really surreal and weird but really fortunate yeah except for the um the the annual migration to bali from perth That's yeah so actually regional tourism is like booming big yeah. time because everyone's staying in wa so like all these small country towns are doing like highest level of tourist trade ever so it's kind of amazing for the local economy and weird 
Um, but yeah. And I'm in Sydney. I'm actually, I'm at my workplace, which is a CBD of Sydney, which is a COVID hotspot. I've been coming here twice a week on the train for an hour on the train each way. And uh, that's probably pretty extreme for where we are in New South Wales at the moment. Most people are still chilling, like being very tense and staying home. But um, I go crazy if I'm at home all the time. So I've been, I've been coming to work and uh, yeah. And has, and has it affected your work structure, how you've been able to your focus, being able to, to put in that creative effort um, that to, to all of you? For me, it's been a real problem because I've had a, one, of, one of my productivity um, habits was to silo everything off geographically. So I would like get on my bike and ride to a place to make art. And that place was, was sacred. It was only an art making place. And then my, my home was also sacred. It's only for doing domestic stuff. And, um, and my like foul work, which is like the work that I do that makes money that, that was off in, in, you know, like a real, like, really heavily, heavily siloed off from, uh, from anything else. So, um, and that, in another city, even in a, in a whole, this whole other city. And so, uh, that's, that's been, especially during lockdown, all of that stuff's, all of that stuff's intermingling and getting knotted together at the same desk makes it very hard to go from a zoom meeting with university students to, uh, making comics, you know, on, at the same desk. I don't know about you guys, but that's been my challenge. Have you, have Chris Campbell, you've found stuff similar or your experience been a bit different? Um, I'll go. You can wait, Campbell. Um, I'll wait. Yeah. Uh, I've just been doing mostly writing, which I don't like, and it's mostly just like a torturous activity of trying to make myself sit down at a desk. Um, yeah, and then when I do get to do drawing, it's really lovely. Like I do get to do really long days of just drawing, and that's that's great. But it's pretty few and far between at the moment, just because of where I am with projects. And I can't I can't tell if I'm more productive with COVID or not. Like. If like everything's so depressing and my sleep cycle's fucked, like I think maybe if I had like I started to go to, to work and had other like commitments and had a social life that wasn't just phone calls and Skypes and stuff, I think I'd probably still be the same. But yeah. Campbell. Yeah, I think I think like we we've just gone through a big move where we were relocating a kids' art school that we run where I teach comics and um, and so that's occupied a lot of time and, and the kind of relocating to a larger site occurred kind of during the pandemic. So we were at this position where it's like, oh, are we going to invest in this larger space, you know, hoping that things go back to normal so we can resume classes and, and luckily that paid off. But like being post project, you know, I'd wrapped up home time too before the pandemic hit more or less. And then it was sort of, I have all these projects that I been writing and developing up before the pandemic that were supposed to I was supposed to kind of jump into as soon as the book was done and some of them are kind of contemporary stories and it's sort of like do I how do I tell these now you know like like if I'm making them now it doesn't make sense if the pandemic's not mentioned or referenced or do I do I pretend like it doesn't exist and the book comes out in two years and things are even more in lockdown and it's a weird relic or do I address it? And so there's, there's these sort of questions that are um, just playing over in my head a lot. Mm. Wow. 
So, um, talk about your current works. You've all published through Top Shelf for for this one. What was it about that that drew you to to this publisher? I would say, and like the just just to challenge the question a little bit, it sounds like we've got like like oodles of options. Um, my my experience is you choose the publisher that that uh, that that gives you know says yes, says they'll publish your work. Um, so that, 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 yeah, um, there's definitely like a, that, that was why I published my first book with Top Shelf and my second book, I, I, I found the experience to be positive and I have a sense, I, I believe in loyalty. So I, uh, so the second book's gone with Top Shelf as well. Uh, Pat is the one who introduced me to Top Shelf. Um, I don't know if I had, like, 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 like he was saying, it was sort of like, they were the one who seemed interested and followed through but since then I've had a lot of people be like you know like oh I think your work fits with the the publisher like they think it's a good fit um yeah I did love them as a teenager like that's that's something like so that was really nice like they publish maybe my favorite comic ever from hell um so that was really cool that was a weird experience of like getting the thing that I really wanted as a teenager and I think I just assumed that if you were just like published by the people who published from hell, you'd be a millionaire. And like, I was still working at like the supermarket. So I don't know. It was one of those weird expectations meeting reality moments, but they're great. I like them. I like working with them. I'll keep working with them. They're good. Yeah. I'd, I'd originally wanted a, um, an Australian publisher for home time. Cause it's like, like I'm Australian. The work is set in Australia. It's about Australia. Um, it just sort of made sense to me, but um, I've got a big old stack of rejection letters. So, so I kind of exhausted lots of the options that I thought were viable for the book here. Um, and then, uh, and then it was sort of a chance encounter with top shelf with um, the then editor in chief of um, actually of IDW coming to supernova Perth. He was doing like an open portfolio. I pitched it to him. He didn't want it. And then, but he handballed it on to um, Chris Staros at top shelf and Staros got in touch and was like, I love this, let's, let's do it. And, and weirdly enough, all the things that um, all the local public, all the Australian publishers were concerned about and were giving me reasons to say no about, they were the reason, they, they, those were the exact things he was really excited about. So it was kind of this weird experience. And, and I love lots of the stuff that Top Shelf published. I think it's really fantastic. So out of, you know, if I'm gonna go to an international publisher, I was really thrilled to be able to work with them. Yeah. So, how does it compare to self-publishing? You've self-published stuff in the past. I know um, Chris has, um, Campbell, I think you have self-published a bit as well. I'm not, I, I've, I will admit I'm, I'm only familiar with um, the stuff that Pat's done through, um, through Top Shelf, but, and some of the other things, but I, I how does it um, compare working with, with something, so, uh, company like Top Shelf to, to self-publishing? Um, let me go first for this one, because I these, these are the self-published versions of the collection they will be putting out. And this was a fucking nightmare. Like, these are so much work, especially because Erisograph printed them. And I didn't bind them. Glom Press, who the friend the corner from me, they, they bound them. And you have to do so much distribution and so much everything. So it's, it's a lot easier. That's, that's the experience that I have. Like I send people the files. They're like, you know, 
sort of match me up with the person who puts the book together and then, then they we design the cover together and like I have help all the way through. Like for example with Under Earth, somehow I fucked up the blacks all throughout the whole book. Like so that like on half the pages, there was a mix of like 100% black and 99% black. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I couldn't tell on my laptop because my laptop screen's older, but like the person who was putting it together was like, oh, this is kind of an issue. And I was like, oh God, I'm going to have to go through everything. And they're like, don't worry, I'll do it. And they just did it in like half a day because they know what they're doing. Like they have all this niche, really ultra specific Adobe knowledge. Um, yeah, I'm probably... Well, I've just finished this project, but I'm, I'm at the moment, I don't feel like I want to self-publish a long form thing because it's so much work. You kind of self-published Blue in a way, Pat, like you published online and they did a lot of distribution yourself early on. Am I yeah, right? Am I wrong? I, I, had some, I had some grant money that I, that I was, um, that I wanted to, I wanted to put into giving the book as much like sparkle as possible. So I, um, I, I had this crazy situation, which I've, I've, I haven't really heard about anyone else doing, where I paid for the printing of the book, and then um, a, an Australian publisher and and Top Shelf did did distribution of that first print run, and that was cool because I got to be like the boss of it, you know, end to end. I didn't have to negotiate with anyone about the book production. It was a really lush book, super expensive production, and. Um, and that really spoke to people in the bookstores. Um, and so that print run sold out very quickly. And then they, the, the other publishers took on the, the, the second print run after that. Um, so that, that was cool because like, I mean, really, so I mean, I think when people think about publishing, what publishers do, they think about, they really go, well, most of what they do is printing, you know, like the printing is really the, the one thing that any, any idiot could do really the, um, their skill is like in they have they they have they have access to distribution chains and they have access they have relationships that help with their marketing. So really, what they do is distrib distribute and market books, and um and marketing probably is the main part of their job. So um that was good because I got the distribution and marketing side of things, but I also got to be like in charge of the. I felt like I was making the biggest, most expensive, sickest scene ever, and um. Yeah, that was that was a great experience. But uh, you know, I don't know if we want to go into details. That came around to bite me in the ass. And that exact thing that I described is the reason that the book's out of print now. Um, and I also I did the same thing as Chris. Like I just I, I self-published floppy comics of my my most recent book. Um, just yeah, same old same old process. You just, you know, go into the printer yourself, put his stuffing envelopes handwriting addresses all the, all of that stuff still a big part of my practice and i don't necessarily see them as being as being too separate i actually think self-publishing creates a really good baseline of understanding of what you do so that when your bit major works come out they um the the there's just a lot of people in in the, in the community who who have a who have a sense that it's a thing um what about you campbell you're doing you're doing you're doing using you're using self-publishing to make wild new things, right? Like, yeah, I, I do the weird, like uh, I almost see my practices in two halves. They inform each other, but, but one is like, hold on. One is like, <laughs> sort of like a, 
like a like home time sort of the the maximum it's like like how much how much can i put into a comic you know so it's like it's all this multimedia stuff it's like just extravagant and lush and big productions and then when i do like my own self-published stuff it's like <laughs> what the, the question i'm the, literally the question i'm always asking myself is like what's the least i can do to tell the yeah. story like what is how much can i strip this thing back so that it um so that it's like hardly anything and so the productions are like super lo-fi super like minimalist cheap as possible because i wish comics were just cheaper in general like they're just mm -hmm. so expensive and i i love a big lush production as much as anyone but it's like you know like 40 bucks for a book it's it's like a lot whereas if i can sell something for a dollar it's like it's great like um and then i do I, i'm really interested in sort of like comics in different ways like comics on walls or comics as kind of as as architecture as well so i'm really keen to start exploring that more and more in in that other side of my practice um because i think the comics language is so vital and vibrant and and it has so much potential that's kind of um not that not that it's being untapped but it's not realized as it's, it's it hasn't realized as much as it could maybe yeah so given all of that what do you have any advice or what would you say to someone who wanted to um, work, who, who wanted to publish with someone like Top Shelf or another big international publisher? Any, any tips that you could give them? You want to start, go the other way, start with Campbell this time? Um, I think one of the big things that I didn't really factor in when I started, at least home time or making or envisioning books was thinking about, the, the, I guess the format and the structure and, and the way um, book lists work, like publishers will have, and it, it, anyone who I guess works in the publishing industry will probably roll their eyes at this. But the idea that a publisher will have a, often have a list where it's like, oh yeah, we're going to do like five YA books a year and they are in this format and they're this length and they need to contain this type of content and we're going to do X number of this per year. And so, um, so when I was sort of approaching publishers initially, I had no concept of that. I knew that there were sorts of works they were doing and I thought home time would sort of fit within that, but just not having a sense of like the commercial viability of a project and how it fits in with a publisher's existing praxis is like, Oh, okay. That's like, that's like kind of a big revealing moment where it's like, Oh, if you've got a non-standard text or a non-standard project, um, it's just not going to be as commercially viable and attractive. The flip side is, it's going to be incredibly wildly fulfilling for you to produce and create in, in those sorts of ways. And there's going to be something vibrant and um, unique about it, but it's also a huge risk and, and, and more or less publishers are incredibly risk averse. Their job is to like make decisions that um, limit the company's like financial risk. And, and so, you know, having a bit of an understanding of, of who you're pitching to, what they already do, um, and, you know, a realistic understanding of is your work actually up to that level? Like if you saw that on a shelf alongside the other projects um, that that publisher prints, would it, would it fit in? Would it slot in naturally? And if not, like there are so many, there's so many avenues for your work right now that it's like, oh, and the other thing is make small works. Yeah. <laughs> Start with little things, do a one page thing and then a two and then a four and then an eight and a 16 and a 32 and build your way up. Don't, don't start your epic from day one. Anyway, that's my idea. 
What about you, Chris? I don't know. I mean, it's like what you said before, like the, you go with the, the, the one that chooses you. Like that's the experience I have. Like um, that said, like when I was doing my first comic bottled, I certainly had like, like Campbell was talking about, like the stack of rejection letters, which were mostly just like emails that never got returned. Um, the only success I've had or the most success I've had in terms of pitching a comic is like in a, as a thumbnail draft, like I'm trying at the moment, like this year, the thing I'm focusing on is trying to get better at pitching stories, like making documents that are easy to read and blah, blah, blah. But that was not a strength I had at all when I was first making comic books. So I think like, like I actually submitted to Top Shelf twice. I did like an open submission that had like a friendly rejection letter. And that was mostly like, that was like the first chapter and like a synopsis. And then what got them to pick it up was Pat's introduction being like, hey, please, please read the whole thing or please read this or look at this or whatever. And then them being able to read all of the comic. It wasn't 100% finished. What I gave them was all the line work at that point. So I still need to do revisions and colors and stuff. And the way I pitched my next book to them was that I did, I don't know how to describe it. I did like detailed thumbnails. So like a readable comic, almost like what Campbell's talking about with um, his, his Morzine stuff, like the $1 comics, like trying to make it as payback as possible, but still maintain composition and readability above everything else. And that seems to be like, that seems to compensate for my inability at that time to not be able to pitch properly. Mm. Hopefully, like that's so much of an investment of time. It's not a really a feasible thing. I feel like probably for everyone, like for the three of us, like the thing we're trying to do now is find out how you can fit comics into the rest of your life. Yeah. And like how you can make, like how you can increase your output without having to increase the amount of time you spend drawing and writing. Cause probably we all spend the most amount of time that our lives afford yeah. making art. Yeah, you're a pet. I, I think I, I actually think an international publisher is 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 incredibly powerful for for an Australian artist. There's 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 this weird kind of amorphous prestige that comes with it. Um, some one piece of advice is like, if you uh, if you think your the relationship with the public publisher is gonna sort of fulfill you, like make you feel validated, then you sort of you're really setting yourself up for disappointment. Because um, while while they ha they do have your interests at heart, they're not they're not there to nurture your practice. Actually, they're, they're it's a transaction it's a, it's a, it's a transactional relationship to to a large degree. So like, um, they're probably not going to help you make your book. You know, they're probably not going to uh, to like they're going to help you sell it. They're gonna they're gonna you know take it take it when you hand it over to them. They're gonna like get put it into the pipeline, but. Um, like I think I think I've definitely had a lot of uh, I, I I hear a lot of stories about people who kind of like a year in, a year after they sign a publishing deal they're kind of a little bit disappointed at like you know that they're not they're not being supported in this holistic way um, because I just don't think that's what they're that's what they're there that's not what they that's not how they provide value to to the world actually that stuff is up to the up to the authors but a piece of advice for an Australian author I think. And this has kind of really come into light recently, and and, and looking at, at at all three of us and our and how our, our careers have progressed, 
Um, our, our publisher doesn't necessarily have a very good marketing machine in, in our country. So um, it's what that means is we sell books all over the world, but we probably don't have as much of a profile of, or presence in, in our own country to do to, to, to get that sort of stuff like uh, like really good relationships with Australian libraries or Australian schools or perhaps um, or even like Australian media it, and in a way that would kind of create um, those side opportunities that end up being really really how you how you get momentum for your books but also how you make money you know like like speaking events and uh, um, you know like like writers festival events and stuff like that so Give it, give it. When I go into my my third graphic novel, if that ever happens, I think I'm going to retain Australian rights. You know, like really, really fight to keep that, and then try and get a an Australian publisher um, to 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 help rep the book in in this country. Because at the end of the day, like the the most meaningful interactions I have with readers are in Australia, and so the better, the bigger the profile the, the book has here. Um, means you know like that 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 really that really means a lot that really sustains me whereas like like i mean i like we all have do you guys have like french and italian ones or do you have translations french in 2021 (laughs) so the the whack thing about the like translations is like i mean there's zero feedback it's like like the only feedback you get is a check like like really like so that that might as well as far as like nourishing you as an artist and and helping you understand that your work is like having an impact on people that uh, <laughs> the translated versions are like so abstract that they that they're meaningless in those terms um yeah so that would be that i reckon in australia for an australian author like like maintaining working to maintain an australian presence is really important i actually campbell hearing hearing what you said i think like if you had gone the other way around, if you had go, if you had gone for an, an American author, but kept the Australian rights, and then gone back to those same people who who rejected you, you probably would have got got like yeah. they probably would have taken it on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a high likelihood, and and you know we see that with with all all creative practitioners in our country is that you know that story repeats again and again. I had to go overseas find some success. And then the local community and, and yeah. industry accepted me, you know, and it's, and it's like that time and time again. And I don't know how, how we break that, but um, yeah, I think, I think exactly what you're saying. One of the big challenges the three of us is de- are definitely facing is that kind of um, a bit of a lack of local support or national support where it's kind of, um, yeah, sure. The books are in bookstores, which is great, but there's all of that ancillary sort of stuff around having a book that is actually what financially sustains a practitioner so yeah it's festivals it's launches it's um you know speaking events it's being on writer circuits etc and all of that stuff is so much more accessible here for us so you know if i get invited to go to a festival like if i get invited to go to i don't know tcaf or something it's like well i've got to plot like a two-week trip there and it's like thousands of dollars worth of flights and accommodation and and but if i get invited to go to a fest like the melbourne writers festival it's like oh you know, I can, I can do that on a weekend and it, it hardly costs me anything. And, and so there's like this huge economic barrier as well to, to gaining traction. So following on from that, how have you gone getting your books into Australian libraries? I uh, you said you've been, you know, it's 
top shelf doesn't necessarily have the presence in Australia. Um, but, you know, has, have you been reasonably successful? And do you have any tips for, for other creators looking to get into libraries or for librarians looking to expand their comic collection? I have no idea how my stuff gets into libraries. It does sometimes, like the libraries that I grew up reading comics at, that's how I was able to read lots and lots of comics as a teenager. They have my book, which is really great. And in the last year, I spent a bunch of time because this was partially funded by state government, arts funding, and part of that I did a bunch of, um, what do you call them, community programs, things like that. So I did a bunch of work with um, with Melbourne Libraries, Northcote, and Summit Turek, and et cetera. And then I did work with you guys as well, the Athenaeum Library, I did a residency there. Um, but all of that has mostly come from me emailing individuals or like you guys, individuals emailing me. Um, I have no idea how libraries work, honestly. Like, I'm pretty certain the comics, like all the comics that I read as a kid, were just like one person's taste, particularly the manga. Like, it was just a really specific bunch of like early 2000s, 80s, 90s manga, like lots of Rama and stuff. Like, it just seemed like one person choosing all the manga. I don't actually know how libraries function. Um, but if I had any advice, I suppose it would be that I have been like surprised and encouraged by how receptive people are. Like, I mean, of course they are like the librarians, they give a shit just like emailing and be like, I would like to run this or are you interested in this provided, you know, you understand that they have to program for a year ahead. Um, but if you want to do stuff with local libraries, you want to do workshops or, or exhibitions. I did an exhibition at Northcote Library. Like, just pitch stuff to people. They're generally really excited because, at least on a personal level, graphic novels is how they get kids to go to the library. That and the internet. Mm. Anyway, someone else. Yeah, I think that workshop side of things. If you're comfortable doing it, that's that's like the that's kind of like putting your your work into action you know and the public program side of things librarians um schools uh spaces like that are always wanting for people who are you know good good at delivering workshops and can can you know kind of solve that problem for them of like what am i going to run during the october holidays what am i running in the january holidays what am i doing for youth week what am i doing for you know like Children's Book Council kind of week and etc. So if you can if you can be that solution, fantastic, and that's going to be, give you you know a lot of opportunities. But you've got to be really proactive with that stuff, right? Because there are already like Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. They've got their like coalition, and they are like a well-oiled machine of promotion and marketing of you know. Or you've got speakers agencies that are filling those spots, or you've got you know you've got all these kind of advocacy groups and kind of almost unions. Um, that are working to advocate for their their works, which is fantastic. And then you've got, um, you know, like Children's Book Council of Australia that has, you know, a particular um, kind of agency um, and drive and focus. And I feel like comics often kind of like slips through these, it, it, it filters through all of those and doesn't actually get caught by anyone. And so you wind up with, with three practitioners like, like ourselves here and, and, you know, we're not the loudest voices in the room. We're not the most pervasive. We don't have as many people advocating for what we're doing. And so... Um, but we do often... have the most work to do of all of these genres. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we've got the most drawings to draw. We do. We do. The amount of labour, you know, the amount of labour and, and um, kind of uh, 
I guess the works are so intertextual where it's like, yeah, we can talk about writing, we can talk about prose, we can talk about illustration, we can talk about, you know, kind of transmedia stuff. We can talk about all of these things um, in a way that I think no other literary form can, no other written, you know, visual literary form can. And, um, and, you know, you look at the boom in graphic novels in terms of sales and readership and the youth demographic, and it's like, it's just such an obvious um, thing for libraries to be scooping up. I'd say if librarians are wanting to increase their reading list, there's always like the ledger's long list, um, which is fantastic, which you yeah, know, like call. every year, um, you know, just scope out the ledgers, put that on your, you know, sign up for the mailing list. Cause that's going to just be a complete, pretty much a complete list of every Australian comic slash graphic novel slash zine that's come out that year. And obviously you can't afford to buy all of them. So there's the short list and then there's the, you know, the winners. Um, and then what Queenie Chan is also helping put together like a, uh, I'm sorry, I forget what the name of it the is. The Comics Database. Which is like incredible, you know? Yeah. It's incredible as, a, as a, just a, a spot to go to because like Children's Book Council of Australia every year put out their list of like, it's essentially a buying list for lots of libraries. They just go and they just click yes to all of those and buy it. And if works like ours don't get included in them for reasons like maybe they're published overseas... Um, or they, you know, have international publishers that don't count as Australian books, even though all three of our books are very much Australian, yeah. about Australia, by Australians. If we're not included on that CBCA list, yeah. we're kind of, we're put in this big disadvantage because otherwise our books would be in every library. Anyway, Pat. Library, librarians are incredibly devoted and incredibly curious people. That's, that's, been, my, that's been my experience. And so librarians, like, like it doesn't take a lot to get an, a librarian to raise their eyebrows and start leaning forward when you're telling them about what, what you're doing, especially because we're making comics and they, they know that they need to get kids in there. They need to, they need to sort of activate, activate newer and younger readers. So, yeah, I like, I think, uh, I think, I think that's something I need to, like, I, I need to sort of develop is like building up that rapport with, with, with librarians. Well, Chris, you touched on it before about the artist residency that you did with the Melbourne Athenaeum Library and the workshops you did um, elsewhere. Um, what would you say to, to librarians um, who are interested in running events like that? What worked, what didn't, you know, how, how's the best way to to um, handle those sorts of events? Um, I don't know. I guess it would depend on what they want out of it. I think, like, just for a bit of context, the, the workshop, well, the, the thing, the program I did with you guys was a residency. So I spent a week just drawing in the library. Um, and then I gave, like, a big talk at the end of it or towards the end of the week. And that was part of, was it Rare Book Week? Is that the, yeah, yeah, it yeah. was... Um, Melbourne, Melbourne Rare Book Week um, festival that happens every year. Yeah, and that was sort of um, so designed to, have, to be engaging people as there was going to be an influx of, of people just coming through the library. Um, other stuff I've done are like kids workshops and um, yeah, like student workshops. I, if you're a librarian and you want to run a kids workshop, I think it is really helpful for the person running it if you can give an accurate gauge of the kids' level of interest and knowledge about comics, like, um, it's really, it can be, for me, it was difficult to know where to start talking about them and also to know if 
they cared or if they were just sort of there for like, because they had to be like, that's really important information. If you're going to go into that workshop space, that's actually a really good piece of advice for any kind of author. If like, like, like people are going to be asking you all the time. Once you open the floodgates, people are going to be asking you to do workshops all the time. You get, they're going to say like, Oh, can you come to this writers festival? We'll pay for a plane ticket. And then I'll go, and we need you to do six workshops. And you'll be like, Oh, okay. But then, um, <laughs> develop, there's this there's this secret um there's this secret you have to develop a, a workshop program that is like six different workshop designs for six different age groups and um but but you need to be able to uh improvise them like you need to be able to activate any one of those six at any given time because you do never know who's going to walk through the door and sit down and sometimes you'll be like okay um today i'm convincing a uh, a bunch of women in their 60s that comics is worthwhile. Comics is a worthwhile <laughs> story. And, yeah, then, so and then today I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the same workshop for, for a bunch of six-year-olds who, uh, who, uh, who don't know how to write yet. So, um, <laughs> like the, you know, those are different. Uh, so so different I, had an experience, I had an experience like that where, where for years and years I've been wanting to do um, workshops with, I do heaps of work, like I, I run a kids art school, so I'm, I'm working with kids primary school through high school all the time, doing lots of library events, lots of children's festivals, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm, I'm like pretty confident and comfortable working across those spaces. But one thing I've always wanted to do, and for years I've been pitching it to libraries and local councils, is doing autobio comics for seniors for like retirement villages and things. Cause I'm just like, man, these people have like so much knowledge and so much, like so many stories to tell. And like, let's get them into making like little weird zines and they've got all this time. So like, can they make funny zines? And so finally I managed to pitch to one librarian who had me coming in to do a kid's one. I was like, look, I'll happily do the kid's one, but you've got to let me do like a seniors one because I see your, <laughs> I see you like in your programming schedule, you're, you are working with this retirement village. So please let me do that. And she was like, okay, cool. Um, so I get there, I rock up, the seniors start arriving um, and, and they're kind of like bemused and excited and it's, and it's exciting. And I've got all the co at least comics, I think they'll be in through kind of out and I've got the whiteboard and I've done some stuff and I'm like, all right guys. And I start explaining what, you know, the, what we're going to do today in the programming. And this one lady's like, I thought we were doing comics. And I was like, yeah. And she said, no, no, like, like stand up comedy. <laughs> and the whole group, the whole group had had it mispitched to them. So they thought they were doing stand up comedy. Um, and now they're, and <laughs> but they, you know, we hung out for a couple of hours. We hung out for like three hours, made some cool comics. They all had a good time, but that was like, oh man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that moment of like, what are we going to do? Like, do you want to do this thing? <laughs> they were into it. They liked it. That's good. I think if you want, like, a, like if you want me or probably any of us here to do a workshop, you just email us and then we'll probably do it. Like, that's yeah. the experience I get. Like, like if you want me to do a workshop, I'll, I'll probably do the workshop. Like, I don't make much money. So, like, pay me to do a thing and I'll do the thing. Like, yeah. I think that's probably for most artists as well. Like, it's also just nice. It's nice to wake up to an email that's like, hey, we like your work. Please come and do a thing with us. And you get to meet new people and, you know, whatever. Yeah, that's um, really good. I think it can be confronting for librarians who aren't really in some of these other spaces to go, hey, we're interested in this. Come, like, that can be quite a confronting thing for, for 
to do. So I think it's really good that you've you've said that. This is something. This is a piece of advice that that I got from Ben Law. At, you know, when I was sitting sitting in the audience at a panel at the Writers Festival, and it's that being an author, you you think that your job is to sit alone in your room and make a beautiful thing, but this other huge important part of your job is is maintaining relationships, and that and that's like the, and so like like relationships with with librarians like it's like like that's just like you just have to think about it as a um as like long-term relationships and, and relationships need servicing they need you to put a bit 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 of energy in if you want to if you want to get something back and that, would, that that's exactly the same with like comic book stores publishers um like media you know like i mean like an exact classic example right I've got no publicist this year. We don't have a publicist in Australia, so it's really hard for us to get press. So I just, I just begged everyone on Facebook to, to just help me get some press. And, uh, and all of these people came out of the woodwork that are relationships that are personal relationships that I've had since being at the Young Writers Festival in Newcastle in like the early 2000s, when none of us, none of us were authors. We were all just wanted to be one day. And, um, and those, those, you know, two of those um, actually helped me get a review in the Saturday paper this, this weekend, which was like massive deal for me. You know, that's the sort of thing that like that li- a little review in a, in, in a good paper goes a really a long way. Can you see that? There it is. Woo. My I tried dad to just read texted it. me. Yeah. It was behind a paywall. Yeah, it's behind a paywall. You can find the, uh, I think it won't be behind a paywall after a week or something. Okay. I'll hit um, it up then. I'll send you my dad's text, Campbell. Oh, did he, did he pirate it? He just texted me a photograph of it, just like while we were doing this interview. Being like, it's a comic book. It's Look. working. It's working, Pat. Gucci's dad's keen. It reaches, it reaches Gucci. It reaches Gucci through a back channel. So that means the... Uh, yeah. It's working. Yeah. And, uh, and actually, you know, like, like one of the challenges of doing a big book, and I really feel like this is, um, this is, this is something that's been on my mind the last 24 hours, is... You, you have to let so much so many fires burn in your life to, to, to focus on getting getting this graphic novel done because it's such a it's such a so much of your so much of your time and energy goes into it that I actually think I have to spend an entire year going just 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 showing gratitude for, for all of the all of the people that have supported my life over this time and, and service those relationships that are going to gonna you know help me maintain my life as an author like like for the next couple of decades um so yeah i guess it's a constant reminder for me that the job isn't just at your desk in your studio it's a it's your job is to connect with people as yeah and uh and so like a, like a relationship with a librarian is it would be is a really important important part of connecting with people you do um Another form of connecting with people too, Pat. You've got the comic art workshop that you yeah. founded. So one of the one of the things that I saw was missing in uh, in in comics all around the world, but 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 in in my in my sort of like community of storytellers was um was was the kind of like workshopping process that I knew about because I I'd studied and taught creative writing, so it's like a literary workshop. So. Um, so a friend of mine who's a creative writing teacher um, set up a, a residency program or an artist retreat where we, where we went away for a couple of weeks to, 
to do literary workshopping on our on our graphic novels. And so um, my book that's just come out, all three of these top shelf books have benefited from this literary workshopping process. Um, and so it was, it, for me, it was a, a, a grand experiment. It was exhausting, but it was also like the, the you know, really, really beautiful and uh, um, just, yeah, really meaningful. And, and, and again, you know, like it's sort of, uh, it's, it's, it's helped create a, a really, a really tight sort of uh, network of, of artists who are really, who are, who are trying to solve that, those tricky problems of like getting a, a long form comic completed. Um, yeah, so that's that's what the project is. Um, it'll be continued. I think there'll be one in twenty twenty one. Yeah, it was pretty. It was it was like a pretty profound experience. You know, the you know going there, the first one. I don't think I I'd spoken to you, Pat, a few times on the phone. I think beforehand, but we didn't really know each other. And and going there was, I, I never really knew people that made comics before then. Like I know there's like a big comic scene in Melbourne and things, but in Perth it just you know, I didn't know anyone that, that actually was trying to make comics in the same way that, that I was. Um, I knew people that read comics. Um, and so to suddenly be, have this sort of fraternity of like, of makers that you're, you're in amongst, um, yeah, it was really moving and revealing. And, and so often I think I was trying to find um, kind of like a group you know, in amongst, you know, picture book writers or YA authors or, you know, there's this sort of overlap and commonality in what we're doing or genre writers and things. But but they the, the challenges of making a comic are so fundamentally different and so unique to the form that, yeah, there's things you can learn from other mediums and we always are, but but to actually be in a room or on an island, you know, with, with a dozen other incredible makers all tackling the same issue was really um, enlightening and you know it, it you know planted this seed which you know I went back to Perth and then I started you know it's a much smaller scale but the you know comics um, maker network which is like a monthly group and then the Perth Comic Arts Festival grew out of that and now we've just started doing um, like a formalized uh, workshopping process like the same one that we did at Comic Arts Workshop we've started doing that in the Comics Maker Network locally so it's like it, it has had this like this ripple effect that's been that's really profound i think yeah yeah i don't know how much i have to add other than yeah it was really formative and great i was a baby when we did it like i was super young um you're still bottle feeding weren't you yeah yeah you and we took, my turns. Dad. So we took turns rocking gooch to sleep every night yeah <laughs> oh, i got i drank way that first one i drank way too much anyway it was a lot of fun um I think something like what you're talking about with the, the different, um, like having that formalized workshop process, like in Melbourne, there is a big comic community and there's a lot of different people that you can engage with. When I first started making comics or first wanted to start making comics, a lot of the people I were engaging with were maybe more like, like people who weren't um, as invested or, or didn't have the time in their lives or, or whatever. They weren't going to, make a fucking 400 page comic book or, or, or something like that. Um, and having like having meetups where you'd sort of casually talk about something that you're working on in the background or, or you know, your, your like dream project or your magnum opus you get to one day, um, I think is a little stifling for being productive, having like a formal structure, like what you've done with your, with your birth people 
like, I think a lot of people are going to come out of that and are going to make comics and it sets the bar a lot higher and, you know, makes you come away and be like, oh shit, if I'm actually going to make this, I actually have to make it. And then I have to show it to other people. And then I get through like, like learning, like I went to art school. So I had had this experience. I think we've all had, like you, we've all done this in uni way, you know, you get really anxious and you show people you're working you're like, oh, that's fine. I don't actually care what half these people think. And then you pick the two pieces of feedback you like and you, you make it better. But getting over that for the first time, it's like such a big thing. And getting over showing people your work for the first time, such a big thing. Mm. And to have that experience in a really lovely, formal, accepting, comfortable comics space was really lovely and really nice. And it's, I didn't actually know you were doing it formally now. That's really great. You're doing that for other people. Oh, we've only just started. We've done like one, I think a fortnight ago, but, um, but yeah, there's an appetite for it. As soon you know, we got, we got together a core group of people and did it and everyone was like, well, can we do that for all our works? And it's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, let's, let's, what's the requirement? Like, what do you, what do they show? Well, you know, it's a manuscript. The first one was, was, uh, it was like 400 pages of finished work. Fuck, yeah. and, and then they've still got 200 to go, you know? And so it's, it was a, it was like, how do I tighten up these 400 I've done? And how do I like round mm. up the story with this, this 200 I've, I've drafted? Um, you know, and there aren't that many projects like that. Like it just nationwide, there aren't that many projects. We just happen to have one that's here um, at that state. And it's like, it's just bursting at the seams, ready to go kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I guess there'll be a variety of, of things that, that we're going to start workshopping. Some might just be like written scripts if people do that. Um, I think the visual manuscripts probably the best point at which to, um, to seek feedback. And, um, you know, I'm developing up two at the moment that I'm keen to put through that process. I've got a couple of other people that have got visual manuscripts ready to go. So yeah, it's, it's going to start something, which is really exciting. Question from my end on that is, have you thought about how you can get libraries involved? <laughs> no. <laughs> I have now. <laughs> uh, no, I haven't yet. Because um, I don't know. Because that, that developing new, new authors, new creators is definitely something that um, libraries tend to be interested in. So, mm. you know, find a way to, to have... Um, have events related to it in libraries, you know, do, do presentations and stuff like that in libraries might be a, might be something that could benefit you and benefit the, the libraries around Perth and WA and everything. Yeah, that sounds great. I'll, I'll, I'll have a chat to some of my librarian friends because yeah. we do, and we do get librarians coming to our monthly meetups, which is really great because yeah. they're just keen and interested to know. So that's something that's growing as well where librarians are getting a sense of like, Oh, you know, we can go, we're invited to this space. And, yeah. yeah. Few more questions. Um, one was specifically for you, Pat, about the process with Grot being um, the entire comic online for free and then also published in print. Um, so uh, interested to know why you made that choice and um, what did the publishers think about that free webcomic to in print um, system that you had? Um, so I kind of, uh, I kind of came into my practice matured at a particular time in, um, in, in sort of like, like the, the development of like, like popular understandings of IP. And so when I, when I was sort of like, when I was sort of working on, on 
developing as, as a cartoonist, you know, there were all these writers, like, it was like when the Boing Boing blog was like hot. And uh, Cory Doctorow was the god. And he, Cory Doctorow was like an evangelist for like, um, for like, for like make, for really, really what I took from him is that like, um, part of your job as an author is like your job as an author is to connect with people. And part of the way you achieve that is by getting the fuck out of the way. Like, like, and, 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 I, and at the same time that, that, that was going on, the, the media was, was, was obsessed with this idea of the paywall, obsessed with this idea of constructing an artificial barrier between the, 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 the work of art and the, and the audience, um, as, as you know, and, um, and so I, I became really convinced that I, I just made this, I just made this sort of promise to myself and to the world that everything I did, I would do my very best to get out of the way and make sure, make sure that anyone who, who really wanted it could access it. And so the way that plays out, for example, when I'm at a zine fair, if, if somebody picks up my work and they, 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 I could tell they really want it and, um, and, and they, and they can't afford it. Like, like I'll, I'll do my best. I will do everything I can to make sure they're going to, they walk away with it in their hands or, you know, even if it's, giving them a huge discount or giving, giving something away. Um, so that's what it might play out in, in like a point of sale environment. But like, but online, it's like, my, my feeling is if there's five potential readers, only one of them's going to pay 40 bucks for my book. Um, the, and, and the other four, I, the other four, what, like, like I, I, I kind of, I kind of like feel like I need to serve them in some way. And so I get, I make the book work available on the internet. Um, in a, in a, in a less, in a lesser form, as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't have the right smell. It doesn't have the right feel. You can't read it at beach or in the sun or whatever. You can't read it on the toilet really. Um, and that's, that's, they can, if, if someone's willing to read it on a screen, they can read it for free. But man, I, I learned, I learned years ago that I sell, I sell so much work through that process. You know, like, like I sell a lot of, I sell a lot of books from my website, which is the website that hosts the, the, all of my comics. So, um, uh, so, so I've kind of learned that that, that's my strategy. It's not like a, it's not like, I don't, I don't see it as a, some people think that I'm just like a, like a, a weird, a weird sort of like art communist, which may be true, but that, <laughs> actually, actually there's a business, there's a business case for, for, for making things available online. And when I'm signing a publishing deal, I make that business case for them. I say, listen. I can show you numbers that 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 people are people are going to this website, reading for fifteen minutes, and then buying a book, which is which is you know like I can empirically demonstrate that 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 happens all the time. Um, so um, if I can if I can so there's this popular the way people talk about stories is like it's like a napkin. It's like oh look at this story. All right, it's used now, discard. No longer, no longer valuable to the world. But actually, see what I just did there? That's pretty good. Is that there on purpose? Did you <laughs> yeah. Have... Did you? Was that a prop? What other props do you have around your screen? <laughs> <laughs> like a rubber duck and like a magic wand and stuff. That comics yeah. carrot top. Like a story is not a KFC refresher towel. It's not a single-use object. Actually, a story builds momentum. Every time somebody reads a story, they activate it and they pass it on, and it. And yeah. it builds momentum through through making making people's lives meaningful. So that's why that's why I, I just do my very best to get out of the way. Um, rant over. 
Yeah. No, that's really good. I think I think that's a very similar thing to the the idea that libraries work on as well. That that free well, <laughs> free use of the story um, and and the repeated use. So mm. yeah, I think there's a lot there's a lot of similarity in in the um, ideals behind how libraries work and and those that strategy that you're using. What do Chris and Campbell think about the online webcomic and print editions relationship? Uh, you got to pay for my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> the commie bastard <laughs> like that, huh? <laughs> I don't know. I think maybe it's a generational thing. Like, like the current format is you put everything online for free via social media to generate ad revenue for huge corporations. Like, so that's, that's sort of how I feel. Like, um, at least that's the context for my opinion of like, you know, please buy my stuff. I put lots of shit on, I put a lot of content for free on these social media websites, you know, mostly just for me to have a diary of shit that I make. Go to libraries, get my shit for free from libraries. That's how I read comics when I was a kid. Um, but you get paid for that as well, Gooch. I really, you get paid for people going to libraries? Yep, getting your books out. You gotta, you gotta sign up, I'll, I'll hit you up after this conversation. Okay, cool, yeah. Because you get, you, get like you get like a fee every couple of years for the amount of people that borrow your book. Cool. Yeah, it's like a rental fee, right? It's sort of. Yeah, something like that, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I got a check, like, I, I, got, I, got, I got cash, like, this year from it. It was cool. It was like, yeah. no library check. Yeah. yeah it's Did you stuff. buy a whole candy bar? <laughs> Man, I, I paid off my mortgage, it was massive. Oh, it's cool. You know, just casual <laughs> comics money that we're all making. You know? yeah. The passive income of the cartoonist. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what can I say? It's really, it's really a money management problem at this point. <laughs> I'm, I'm into tax minimization right now. That's and, and looking into Cayman Islands sort of stuff. And, yeah. Um, yeah, but I think I think what you do, Pat, is uh, uh, just to sit somewhere in the middle. I, my book isn't available; is not available for free online. But I think what Pat does is great, and I do believe it works mm -hmm. um, because and. And I think it works in the way that, yeah, lots of people will buy the work or a percentage of people will buy the work who've read it online. But even the ones that don't buy it then become advocates for the work later yeah. on and can at least speak to it and yeah. speak of it. Um, and, and the amount of digital creative content that I consume on a daily basis for free is like staggering and have, you know, my entire adult life. So um, the idea that I can feed back into that is great. But then I, you know, I, I, I constantly put unique original content online and small comics and, and it is free and it's constant stream. But I don't actually think that works or, or, or matters necessarily. Like I don't think it's a strategy that's actually, um, mm. is actually paying off for me in any way, shape or form. I feel this pressure to perform and to keep a presence going um, because, because often what happens is, you know, you're working on something like this, we all know, and you disappear. Like, because mm. if I trickle out content from this, it's sort of somewhat meaningless. And, and you know, oh, here's a panel. Like, how do you connect to that? Or here's a, here's a sketch page. How do you connect to that? Um, whereas if I make, you know, a four panel comic like this that I can do, you know, in, in half an hour, um, people respond to that and they do like that. But whether that then goes, oh, well, if you liked this weird thing, you'll go and buy this thing. I don't think it actually works that way. Um, so I don't kind of... I think what Pat's doing is working. <laughs> and I think the little four comics that I'm doing are doing what Gooch is saying, uh, making money for Instagram. <laughs> Not for me. You know, it makes money for Twitter. It makes money for Facebook. It doesn't make money for me.
if anyone listening to this hasn't seen Pat's website, you should go look at it because it takes like a huge amount of effort and upkeep. It's very, it's very much in a, like a whole other realm from posting your shit to like Webtoon or, or Facebook very or whatever. Cool. Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah, it's like, an experience. But, but again, yeah, like I think, I think I'm really, I, I think part of the way I, I try and make online content is, um, is really doing everything I can to facilitate a long read. Um, and, and that, that, that definitely shoots myself in the foot because I don't, I, I, like, I don't really succeed very well on Instagram or, um, or, or, or Facebook or Twitter. But, um, but, I, but I, you know, like I code these websites from scratch to make it feel like, to make it feel kind of immersive, you know? Like if you're really in the zone for a long read and the story and the comic, the story's doing its job, then, then you know, like it, it feels like it's outside of the, that, the weird flow of the internet like it's like its own its own kind of quiet corner where you can you can actually like get lost in the text um yeah but i mean again that's like um you know for for every uh for every hundred people that come visit the site there's like four that stay for 20 minutes and um and there's there's uh, 96 who go yep cool next thing you know like <laughs> but uh but yeah you know i'm i'm, I'm happy with it um, so to keep yeah. things moving, sorry, but um, yeah, I understand you've got. To... And then I got to go. One more. Well, I was going to say, um, let's have a look at every every one of these creator chats. We try and um, uh, get you to recommend some some comics for that you've enjoyed that um, you think would be good for other people. So usually two or three. So I might start with you, Pat. If that way, if you do have to duck out. Drifting Life by Yoshiro Tatsumi. The, the, the great graphic novel about making comics. So if you're interested in making comics, go read it. It's, it's also got one of the most like erotic scenes I've ever seen in a comic. Really? With the food. The food. Hence, hence the, uh, <laughs> the napkin. <laughs> it comes out of nowhere. The, the book's like not erotic at all. And then this is like this yeah. one sequence and it like, it floors you. It's like, yeah. Um, so that one is the one I've been thinking about. Um, what else? What else have I liked lately? Um, my my friend um, Claudia, who I'm about to go on a panel with, and, and a whole other thing is, uh, has just came out with a book about uh, why Black Lives Matter to a context. Really, a really astonishing uh, piece of autobiographical sort of nonfiction, but it's also like she's such a she's such an incredible uh, incredible artist. So that's uh, Claudia Chinia Akoli, and it's, I think the title is why why Black Lives Matter. Um, you know, in, in countries outside of America. Look it up, Google it, it's amazing. You can read the whole thing online, PS. And um, I didn't have a third one. What about Meg? Have you been reading her career comics? Oh, oh yeah, Meg, thanks Chris. You, did you just, did you just, yeah, Meg, uh, Meg O'Shea. Um, real, one, definitely, definitely one of my favourite Australian uh, comic book artists. Um, she's in in Korea right now, researching a graphic novel, um, a, a big autobiographical graphic novel, which is going to be really important to her. And um, it's one of those books that, since since I first met Meg, I've been desperate for this book to exist. I can't wait for it. So, uh, but she's sort of she's doing a lot of work sort of in and around in preparation for it. So uh, Meg O'Shea, she's one to look up. And, uh, and then I'll have to tap out, guys. I'm sorry. It's so lovely. Well, to thank you. you. It's been lovely chatting to you. All right. Bye-bye. Uh, Don't... Bye. -bye. Don't... Bye.
don't say anything clever without me, okay? I don't okay. want to miss yeah. out on any jokes. Right? You so can actually watch this. It'll be on YouTube. <laughs> like, just right. watch it. I love you guys. See ya. Bye. Yeah. Okay, so um, what recommendations do you have, Campbell? Cool. So one that I always recommend to my students, um, you know, primary school age kids and librarians is Gregory McKay's Anders series, which is through Alan and Unwin. Um, it's really stunning. I don't, I wasn't prepared. I don't have a bookshelf behind me like Pat and Chris, so I can't reach for it. But um, it's, a, it's a fantastic story um, about these little anthropomorphic kind of Australian animal characters that are in primary school and go on these incredible adventures together. Um, totally in my wheelhouse and and I think it's adorable. I think it's really lovely like comics making um, and I think it's really fun adventures but I also think there's this incredible like understated um, sensitivity, kindness, gentleness and sadness to it all that runs underneath um, and there's a lot of really subtle storytelling that um, Greg kind of engages with in the backgrounds and in ways that kind of astute readers will pick up on so um, it doesn't sort of it doesn't speak down to its audience in any way, shape or form, which is something I think is often sorely lacking in children's literature. Um, you know, often we're like, oh, it's the great Aussie bum fart pie fight. And, you know, it's like, it's like, yeah, that's kind of cool, but it's kind of like the fast food of, of, of children's literature. Whereas this, this, I don't know, this is really lovely and, and gentle and slow and wonderful. So um, I think that's really, really worth picking up. Um, Gucci might be able to help me with this one. Like the Glom Press Kickstarter works. Are they still available? Yeah, because I've seen yeah. Mark talking about postage. I'm not sure they're all currently in print right now, but they're cool. stuck in quarantine. They're probably reprinting. Yeah, because like I kickstarted that and got, got the whole set. And to me, that was almost like this, this kind of atomic bomb of like <laughs> a stellar works that all just hit, you know, hit my letterbox at once. And the quality and caliber of them and the production and everything was just like outstanding. And that was through a whole bunch of different Australian creators who are a part of that. Um, and so, you know, if you can pick those up, they're really fantastic. You can grab them. Yeah. You can get Mark's comic as well. His one's really good. The Flamingo Diamond. He's got a bunch of them. Yeah. He does. Yeah. Um, and then one of my all time favorites is Leonie Braley's like uh, raw feels which I think is out of print again. And, and this is something that's really awful, you know, because I was also going to suggest Nikki Greenberg's Hamlet, which is out of, print, out of print, right? So there's this there's this thing that I'm really concerned about, which is about like really important Australian graphic novels falling out of print. And um, these works aren't old. These are, these are really recent works. So, um, but Raw Fields is just like an incredible, poignant, like just beautiful kind of comics poetry work that Leonie engages with all the time. And um, she's just one of my favorite comics makers. And um, yeah, so those, those are sort of my recommendations. Bit of a bit of a gamut of things. Gooch? Did Pat mention Tyler and Lee? Is he done what they're one? doing on Instagram? Yeah, that's the thing I'm reading at the moment that I'm having the most fun. So it's two Australian cartoonists. I don't know Tyler's second name. Her Instagram is like Susana. Maybe we can put a link. It's fucking yeah, we're going to have to throw some links up. Or Lee Rigazzi. And they're just doing a comic book each day in a competition to see who can like burn out the fastest or something. But it's the one story they're working on, right? So it's well, like... Well, it just started off as them like sort of like just the commitment to make, I don't know, at least two panels of comics a day. 
to mm. post on Instagram. And then Tyler started being snarky. And so they started like, you know, throwing shots at each other. And then it became the same story. They started telling the same story. It's- yeah. The story overlapped and now it's, mm. they're like continuing. The, it's, it's really amazing and wild. So if yep. you can jump on Instagram and check that out, it's heap of fun. Yeah. That, um, I like Jess's book, which I think you can definitely get a digital copy. I'm not sure if there are print copies left. Um, so Jess Kitty Parker, just look up her work. I'm not sure. Do you guys have that in the library at the moment or not? Uh, I don't think we do. In What's it called, Gooch? This is the Jess book I recommend. The new guy. Uh, yeah, it's beautiful. It's Rizzo. There's some two color in there. These are the, I grabbed the ones that you were talking about, the Glum Press. So these are the Glon Press ones that Campbell yeah. was talking about before. You can definitely get them on the Glon Press website. So good. Tatiana Davidson, have you read the stuff? No. Oh, is it horror stuff? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I've read some online. Yeah, it's good. Really like kind of manga influenced, like the drifting classroom sort of stuff. Definitely. Yeah. And then I just grabbed my Australian section. I think this is my favorite Mandy book. I really love this. Like this was really great. Um, when one person dies, the whole world is over. Just her comic diary for, for one page a day for a whole year. Amazing. Those would be my three. That's cool. I just pulled out something that kind of relates to what you were saying, Chris, um, a while ago about libraries being kind of this important gateway for reading of comics. Mm. And that was definitely the case with me. I had a librarian that had... Um, you know, the local library I went to had like the entire Sandman collection and it had like all of Ranma Half and Mei Sunokoku yep. and um, just all sorts of amazing stuff. And, um, you know, I was reading things that were definitely not suitable for me at that age. And I don't know if the librarian knew that or not, but, it, you know, my heart would be racing going up to the counter to get this stuff out, you know, because I knew yep. what was in it. Um, but, you know, that exposed me to these incredible works. And one of the works that like totally blew my mind in terms of what comics could be was um, this Domu ah. uh, by Katsuhiro. And, um, you know, this is out of print at the moment. And I got it out from the library, got it out, got it out and, and just obsessed over it. And it was just, it's just one of the most remarkable texts. And I recommend it, you know, above Akira because it's like actually manageable. You can read it. Akira's like so huge. It's um, impenetrable. But um, a friend of mine, or an acquaintance, kind of an acquaintance through the Comics Maker Network was moving. And he, he said to me, oh, I've got a whole bunch of comics that I want to get rid of. Um, would you be interested in any of, any of them? And I said, yeah, yeah, come on over. And so I, he brought all these books and he brought this one across and it's a, it's a library discard. And it's without a doubt, the copy I read as a kid. And this oh, just flew so back cool. into my life. Cause there's no way that there's two copies of this edition of Domu in Western Australia floating around. Um, <laughs> so this is the one I read when I was like 11. Um, and it's come back into my life and it's like the most treasured freakish like possession of mine because um, this really kickstarted my love of comics into a whole new gear. So this is the same one. And um, I just wanted to bring that up because I, I, I think libraries are just amazing spaces. You know, they're, they're, they're these portals to other worlds and other experiences beyond the domestic, beyond our, beyond our family spaces. They're, they're sites of refuge or they're sites of exploration and discovery and, um, yeah, like I just, I just love libraries so much. Well, that's fantastic. I had some more questions, but we've already run significantly over and Pat's already had to duck off. So we might leave it there if you guys, unless you guys want to keep chatting. Um, but um, yeah, 
what's the best way for people to keep updated on your projects and what's happening? Instagram for me, Chris Gooch44. Um, yeah, Campbell. Yeah, Instagram or Twitter is going to be the best for me, and it's just Campbell White at both of them. But your name and is Y. W H Y T E. Yeah, check that. So yeah, either of those, and and yeah. And you know what the best for Pat is? Should have got him to say this before he left. Oh. I know he's on Instagram, but I don't see him update a lot. He's not on there a whole bunch, but, you know, if if he's got something new, he'll let you know. So he's he's not like, he's not like posting like Chris and I are posting all the time, trying to, trying to stay relevant. (laughs) I'm just posting so many cat photos recently, but yes. It's good content. It's good content. People like it. You got to keep making Zuckerberg money. He doesn't have enough. And what's next now that you've got home time and under earth um, ready for either out or or ready to to be um, published? What's what's next project for you guys? Um, Chris? Yeah, I'll go. Uh, I've been working on a horror comic. It's just going to be like 100 pages. Um, Just a casual 100. Just a casual 100. (laughs) Just, you know, um, just, just knock it off in an afternoon. In the morning. And it'll be, yeah. yeah, done. <laughs> I've done thumbnails. You can see what the thumbnails look like. They it's took cool. like three weeks, which I'm it's proud cool. of. Yeah. Um, and then I have a bunch, because I'm doing a lot of writing. And hopefully at the end of the year, I'll have like the scripts for two, like super fucking long books, like 600 page, probably. Wow. So I'll have two of those ready to go. And then I'll just spend the next 10 years of my life drawing those probably. What about you, Campbell? That's cool. Yeah, I got two series in the works that are sort of in a storyboarding phase. And one of them's called uh, Bilbikins, uh, which is a working title, which is about like a Bilby, um, <laughs> Bilby school <laughs> kid who's like a journalist and um, she's like an investigative journalist in her school and runs like a digital newspaper, I guess, and does all these exposés on things that are going on in the classroom and, um, you know, stuff like that. Um, and then I've got another series that I'm developing up uh, called... Uh, uh, Lunar Express, which is about a, uh, a girl who's just left high school and um, she works at her, her parents' patisserie doing kind of like couriering of croissants across town. But she's like, she's super powered and all of her friends are super powered. So it's sort of like a kind of like a Sailor Moon um, kind of shonen kind of action adventure series. So um, yeah, just, just kind of scoping them out and figuring out how they work and um, it's exciting and, and strange to be done with home time because I've been working on that for like 10 years and um, to kind of, yeah, start something new. Excellent. Well, I look forward to seeing all of those projects. They sound very interesting. Um, thank you for, for joining us for the chat today. And um, for the audience, don't forget to uh, like and subscribe and everything. Um, we try and do creator chats about once a month now, um, but we've got quite a big backlog now that um that you can go to um with a whole range of australian um creators uh and thank you for listening cool hey thanks, thanks for having me it's been lovely buy our books yeah pay me <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening to Graphic podcast hit the subscribe button on our youtube page and subscribe to our podcast on apple podcasts you can also follow us on Twitter at Aliagraphic, email us at aliagraphicinfo at gmail.com and check our blog, aliagraphic.blogspot.com. 
for updates, monthly roundups of news and new release titles.